Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. This week, I, I was in a car and I was driving out to Nevada to meet with the cohort with some other pastors. And as I'm on my way, um, I look and there's snow in the forecast. And right as I'm heading over the Cajon Pass up from California into Nevada, uh, snow starts to uh, fall pretty hard and the wind's blowing pretty hard. And um, I'm kind of finding myself in this moment, go from like, oh, this is cool. So all of a sudden I'm realizing I'm in an environment that I'm completely unfamiliar with, facing um, conditions that I've never faced before. And how I managed to get through that required me to drive differently than I would if I was just normally going through the Cone Pass. I had to think differently, drive differently, a different speed. Uh, eventually a police officer, higher patrol, literally led us down the mountain. Um, and during that time, I, can't, I couldn't help but think about Paul sitting in prison, writing to a church in the middle of their own storm, maybe their first storm. And they, he's trying to help them navigate through conditions that they're unfamiliar with. He's trying to help them adjust their expectations, their speed, their confidence, their trust, so that not only in that storm, but in storms to come, they would not waver in their faith. So we're gonna be diving into chapter two of Colossians today. And uh, just a little bit of a recap, chapter one of Colossians uh, begins with this introduction of this letter where Paul is really thanking God for their vibrant reputation of faith and love. Immediately he goes into really his solution, the cause of his letter, and that is the preeminence of Christ and the greatness of Jesus. And then he goes in and he starts commending them to, to have a faith that endures, that no matter what suffering he's going through or they're going through to continue. As we go into chapter two, Paul begins to address some specific conditions, some specific problems that they have. What's the response to the greatness of Jesus? And what is the response to some of the, the threats that they're facing? So three things I wanted to just point out today in the first 15 verses of Colossians 2. Number one is that we are called to have a walk that's continual. Number two, that there is a warning that's critical and lastly, that there is a war that is victorious. In chapters, um, sorry, in verses one through three, um, Paul talks about his longing to be with them. And then in verse four, he says this, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in the body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. You'll notice that phrase again and again, in Christ. And if you remember, that's the hope of glory, Christ in you. And Paul continues to revisit that theme. Verse six, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Um, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit just to begin this sermon with a little bit of a confession. Um, the past month or two, 
uh, has been a little bit of cruise control for me in my own spiritual walk. And as I was getting ready for this sermon and, and thinking about what it means to walk with Jesus, I had found myself having some um, introspection and reflection on really the, the lack of how that's been intentional in my life the past couple of months. And so I just wanted to just begin there. This is something that I feel the text calling me back to as well. And I'm hoping that you as well would feel called back to a walk with Jesus. And so here's, here's kind of my confession is that I have been preoccupied by what is before me rather than being consumed by Christ who is within me. And I don't know if you relate to that, but I have been so preoccupied by what's in front of me that I've neglected the beauty and the significance of Christ who is within me. And so notice when, when Paul says, so then therefore, because Christ is in you, his, his exhortation to this church is walk with him. Walk with him. Don't, don't just stop there. There's a journey ahead of you. And then he gives these kind of defines that this is what walking with Jesus looks like. He says that we have to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. And I just, I found myself asking the question, um, why, is, why do we get off track? Why is it hard to have a continual walk with Jesus? Um, I think specifically maybe in a season or in a, in a year that we've just had, and um, I was just listening to a podcast and John McNeish, who's a psychologist, was describing how our, our minds work in the midst of crisis and chaos. Uh, the first response that our brain makes is that we, our adrenal glands flood us with adrenaline. It increases our sensation, our ability to endure. Uh, we feel like we have this hyper attention and focus and sometimes even strength. But once those adrenal glands uh, run dry, we immediately are met with a sense of apathy, um, even maybe to a level of depression. And since we have fatigued um, that response system, we now kind of lull back. And what our minds do, again, it's just naturally, is as we fall from anxiety into apathy, we begin to start thinking about things from the past that give us comfort, or maybe even dreams of the future that give us comfort. And it kind of helps to level us off again. And from a psychological point of view, we do this all the time. Something stressful comes, adrenaline kicks in. Once the adrenal glands do their job, we finally feel fatigued and a sense of apathy. And then we kind of regain our composure. And there's this cyclical, exhausting repetition in our life and I think what Paul's calling the, the church in Colossians to do is our response to Jesus can't be this ebb and flow from everything that's coming at us. We have to have a consistent, continual walk with him. And he said, well, how do we do that? And he says that we are to be rooted, built up, established in gratitude. Um, but what's interesting about how he defines a walk with Jesus is there's different... Um, different functions these words have. For instance, the word rooted, that word is past tense and it's passive, meaning that our rooted is something we can look back to. It's what Jesus has done. 
But notice this, it's passive. It's not something that we do. We don't root ourselves. Rather, we are rooted in Christ and what he's done. But notice the next two encouragements that were built up. This is present passive. This is something that we need to be continually doing, building ourselves up. Imagine if you're rooted, what naturally happens? You're built up. And next is established also a present passive. But although these are present tense, again, these are not things we do. We do not root ourselves. We do not build ourselves up and we do not establish ourselves. These are all things being done to us. Isn't that interesting? That our walk with Jesus looks like being rooted in what he has done. We are being built up and established in what he is doing. And the only verb here that's given as a present active verb, meaning our response, is being overflowing with gratitude. Man, I find that so interesting that how do we walk with Jesus? Well, we have to have a posture of receiving. We have to receive the goodness and reality that we are rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have to receive the building up and the establishing of our souls. So on our response to that is going to look like thanksgiving and worship and gratitude. And so I just wanna encourage you, what does it look like getting through a storm? What is, what is Paul encouraging this church to do? Don't just think about what Jesus has done and the greatness of Jesus. You have to walk according, the same word that he uses in the letter to the Ephesians, to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. A matter of fact, the letter to the Ephesians uses this term four times. This metaphor for life with Jesus is a walk, but it's not a walk that requires our effort and strength. Rather, it's a walk and it looks more like abiding and receiving. A posture that says, Lord, I need you to do that. So practically, what does that look like? Practically, what does that look like for me as someone who I've, I've been preoccupied with things in my life? I have to set my day so that I can receive. See, God's never stopping pouring into me. His spirit doesn't stop his work. The problem is I fail to recognize it. It's my, it's my hurry. It's my stress. It's my overdone calendar that that prevents me from recognizing there's a God who is rooting me and establishing me and building me up. And so my confession, I wanted to just also be a promise to you and an invitation to you. That I wanna live my life in such a way that my walk with Jesus looks like receiving from him every single day through prayer, through opening up the scriptures, enjoying his presence, and that my response would be thankfulness and worship. After he encourages them in a walk, he then gives them a warning. He then goes in, he says this in Colossians 2, 8 through 13, which by the way, is just one run, one long run on sentence. He says, be careful that no one takes you captive, literally the word for being kidnapped, through philosophy, an empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of, of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done by hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses 
and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Now, so Paul moves from this call to walk with Jesus to a warning. He says, don't be, don't be kidnapped, captured, uh, taken away by these empty philosophies that the world has. And again, what were these philosophies that were trying to sway the Colossians church? If you remember the three things, there's Roman syncretism. And Paul hits that. What does he say? Jesus is above every ruler and authority. That is a direct statement about the reality of who Jesus is above Caesar. Secondly, they have this threat of Gnostic mysticism. And there's two things Paul's addressing here. One of the arguments of the Gnostics is that Jesus may have been divine, but he never had a body. And so what does he say? That the fullness of God was pleased to dwell with him in bodily form. It was in his humanity that we see the fullness of God dwell in him. And secondly, Jesus was not part of this and there's some sort of angelic realm. The Gnostics believe that there was lots of different angels and Jesus may have been a part of that. And again, what does Paul do? He says, no, 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 no. He, he lifts Jesus up above that ranking. And lastly, there's religious moralism. And so there's this talk about baptism and circumcision. And what he's doing is between the, the Roman uh, kind of Caesar worshiping, a sect, the Gnostics, there was this other group of people that were trying to mark them by ancient uh, kind of signifying things of Judaism, one of them being circumcision. He says, no, 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 no. It was through your baptism that you're identified now with Christ through his death and resurrection. You don't need some bodily thing. You don't need some work of human flesh. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone. And so he just says, listen, you are being faced right now by a storm of these human philosophies that are coming against us. Now, you might be sitting here like, look, we don't need to worry about Roman syncretism and Gnostic mysticism and, and religious moralism. But we have our own philosophies that are threatening the church right now. We have our own pressures and threats that are being faced with followers of Jesus and, and sadly, some that are being taken off. And so I wanted to, there's gonna be a graph that's gonna be on your screen. And this is something developed by Tim Keller of talking about what is our response in the middle of living um, in a world of, of secularism, pushing spirituality, specifically Jesus to the fringe. What's our response as the church? And he gives three options. Number one is assimilation. We just allow the church to become whatever culture becomes. If culture says it's important, it's important to us. And, for this, and, and we think maybe for the sake of being accepting or tolerant um, that somehow this is a good option. But then there's another response and that would be the response of separation. So then we look down on those who are in assimilation. They're trying to be like the culture. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna hide away from the culture and we're going to create different uh, groups and schedules in such a way that we don't wanna be influenced by the world or taken away uh, by these hollow philosophies. And so often, sadly, what I found is the church seems to choose one of these routes, assimilation into culture, or separation from culture. And what I love what Keller offers is there's something in between of a third option that looks like influencing culture. And what's amazing about influencing culture is you actually need both. So rather than demonizing the other, would the other challenge us in such a way 
so that it brings a greater sense of what's going on. And so what I would encourage you to just to think through is if you're someone who is angry that the church is assimilating into culture, that, that might mean that you lean towards separation. If you're angry that the church is separating and, and, and hibernating and isolating from the world, then you might be someone who leans into assimilation. But again, the goal here is to influence the world with the good news of the kingdom of God. And what that looks like is we follow the model of Jesus. What did he do? Jesus did both of these, didn't he? He separated from the crowds and he went away from the, the noise and the pressure. And at the same time, he would enter into these places that looked very worldly. And he was accused of assimilating into the culture. But what did Jesus ultimately do? He influenced the entire world. And so I would just encourage us as a church, as we look at the threats that are around us and whether we think those threats are where, where the church is assimilating into culture, or whether we think the threat is the church is separating itself from culture. Our goal for our community is to be led by the spirit in such a way that we would influence the culture around us. And I love what Paul is just, is giving these instructions to this church. Listen, don't be swayed by these philosophies. Don't think that your identity is locked up in what your political view says is right or wrong. Don't think that your identity is locked up in what the social media, the news articles are saying right and wrong. We need to let the gospel and the scriptures inform our understanding of that. Lastly, I love how it ends. It talks about a walk with Jesus, a warning to be observed, and lastly, there's a war that is victorious. He says, he, Jesus, erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Um, man, verses 14 and 15 are so rich with imagery. And, and just to kind of give us understanding, two things that would have been drawn to the attention of the audience. Number one, a certificate of debt. Um, if you were, uh, if you owned, if you owed money, if you were a slave and that debt was paid off, you were given a certificate and that certificate would then go be nailed to the city gates as a sign to everyone around you of your freedom. And it says that we have been given a certificate, that our debt has been paid. And rather than being nailed to a city gate, it was nailed to the cross. And what happened as a result of that? It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. The, the rulers and authorities, what he's talking about right now, are this, this demonic realm that the Gnostics would have said, Jesus is just a part of this realm. He says, no, 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 he's a rule, he's over all of it. And a matter of fact, he defeated all of it at the cross. And so that's why we've been given the certificate that our debt has been paid. But, but also, I love it, it says he's disarmed those, those dark and demonic powers in the world because of the cross. And not only has he disarmed them at the cross, is that he's disgraced them publicly. And so what would happen um, kind of in Roman military is if they defeated someone, they would strip that, that opposing warrior of his armor and weapons and then 
tie that person to a chariot and drag them into town to publicly disgrace them. And this would have happened every so often as the Roman Empire continued to expand. People would have been familiar with this disarming and disgracing sight. And Paul uses this imagery to say, this is what Jesus has done to the dark rulers and authorities, the principalities that set itself against God, that because of the cross, there is a victory that has been shored up. And in that we've received, an, we've received our certificate that our debts have been paid, but we also get to stand in the war that is going on around us. The invisible war has already been decided. And I would just wanna encourage you that if you feel tossed and swayed by the current of the storm around you, Jesus entered into that storm, into the human story to disarm and to disgrace death, hell, and the grave so that we can stand firmly and walk with Jesus. So I just wanna encourage you as you face, whether it's a personal storm and the storm of this past year, would you walk with Jesus? Would you be careful of, a, of the warnings that are going on around us, but not to fully assimilate and not to fully separate, but would we influence culture? And lastly, would we never forget that a war has been won by Jesus and we get to stand in that victory? Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for what you've done and who you are. God, I ask that you would right now just sure our feet up, root us into you and that we'd respond with overflowing thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be careful of the things going on around us, Lord Jesus. Help us be careful of the, of the philosophies that are, are pressing in on the church, Lord God, that this would not be a chance to assimilate or to separate, but to be an influential force in the world. And lastly, would we never forget the victory that you have claimed and purchased for us and the certificate of freedom that we have been given. Lord, we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. <laughs>